Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm here with Pastor Nathan Smith, the senior pastor at Heritage Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. I am Mike Crump, pastor of Church Communications. Last episode, we began our walk through the Bible by looking at the creation account and asking the question, who is God? This episode, we will turn our gaze towards the creation of man and especially the idea of Imago Dei, or the image of God. Now, before we get into that discussion, we had some great feedback on a podcast a little while ago from one of the deacons here at the church, and he brought up the importance of teaching people how to think about biblical things through a Christ-focused lens. Nathan, why is it so important for us to really think about things like marriage, politics, sexual identity, all those things through that Christ-centered biblical lens. As we get into Genesis and we begin reading the Bible throughout this year, we have to understand that we are interacting with a certain worldview. Mm. We're looking at a lens through which to govern society, people, uh, nature itself, and we don't come into that conversation uh, without baggage, without mm preconceived thoughts that we hear from television, the world, movies, uh, education, higher education. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with all that, just as a, as a background, why is it important for us to consider marriage, politics, sexuality, other topics? Because we come to these issues already with a certain worldview mm. um, to different degrees. Some of you out there uh, have a worldview that is very uh, built on the, the, the general culture. Others of you might have grown up in the church mm. or a very traditional understanding. Yeah. So when we read Genesis, Genesis is really laying out the basic foundations of what a biblical worldview is, hmm. how to think about people, how to think about God, how to think about society, how to think about marriage relationships, sexuality, gender. This is the base worldview that will control and govern the rest of Scripture. So you get into the New Testament, yeah. it assumes a Genesis-based worldview. That's why sometimes the Apostle Paul or others don't get into great dialogue on some of these issues because it assumes it as fact. Of course, God created man and woman. Yeah. He is God. He has the right to construct and define reality and uh, the world according to his being. Mm. So talking about these th issues is important, yeah. and talking about it in relation to Genesis is important because these are defined by God. And it helps us understand how things are supposed to be. The, the, the image that, that God has for the world, for us, we're able to see it and rest in those things rather than our entire existence being based upon us. And we have to go into conflict that we don't like that. Yeah. We want to be able to define and construct these ideals and preferences according to what we think is right. Mm. But really, Genesis lays out with, uh, this is what is right, yeah. according to God. Mm according to the only one that has the right to define yeah. what is good and right and give definition to things that we we wrestle through every single day. Yeah. And I think what this specifically, what we're talking about today, Imago Dei, the image of God, I think is one of the most beautiful things that we could ever really ponder, that God would make man in his own image. And it does a lot in a world that has is searching for meaning and purpose and longing for some sort of identity, it settles us in a place of great glory and beauty as we consider these things. So I'm very excited about our discussion today. 
Of course, I'm speaking out of Genesis 1. We see God say in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over... And he lists all the birds and the fish and all these things. And it goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here is our question, Nathan. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Is this... I mean, does God look like a person with uh, legs and arms and eyes and all that kind of stuff? Is it something different than that? How would you answer that question? The image of God. It is such a beautiful concept that transcends just physical appearance. Mm. So maybe we can tackle this from a couple of angles according to the text right here. So we have God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them that both male and female bear the image of God. Mm. But we also see a role difference, that even the role difference bears the image of God. Mm. Now, how does the role difference bear the image of God? Though we're not introduced to the Trinity in this passage per se, um, the fact is we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each with different roles, all being God. So the fact that both man and woman exhibit different roles and yet still exhibit the image of God, so we see the image of God in their roles. So I'm just going to stop there for one second because I want to reiterate what you just said. Yes. Having a different role does not diminish you as a person or, as we see, in God, the the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equally God yet have different roles. It doesn't diminish them in any way, shape, or form to have a different role. And so it is with Absolutely man not. and woman. Yes, there's no diminishing of roles because of difference. Yeah. Now, we as fallen human beings diminish them all the time. Yeah. Men diminish women, women diminish men, we diminish each other yeah. because we're jockeying for significance in selfishness. That, yeah. that is our base being. However, God created male and female both to represent his image. And just like the different roles within the Trinity doesn't mean that one is more or less God mm. or one is more or less significant. They just have different functions within the Godhead. So likewise, when we see the image of God in this passage, we see the image in the sameness of value, but in the difference of roles. Mm. So there's one aspect of the image. Yeah. Another aspect of the image is God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here's another image bearing. Mm. The image bearing that they have been given a place that is distinct from creation. Mm. They have a role that is different than the birds, the beasts, the air. Um, They have a role to rule, to subdue, so Mm -hmm. they have a place of dominion. The only one who has dominion is God. Mm. The way that man bears God's image in one way is sharing in a dominion, in a rulership, that God has given us a co-regency with him. We don't become God. Yeah. But we get to share in his authority to govern that which has been created. So it's another way in which God has imaged us to actually have a rule, a role, and a responsibility to govern the beauty of what creation is. What a beautiful responsibility. And the fact that God would actually bestow upon us such a large thing is uh, 
just in line with his graciousness, his mercy, his love in order to display the joy that is found in having that dominion, not in an abusive way. And a lot of times we think dominion, we think abusive, we think harsh, but no, it's just oversight and caring for and nurturing. I mean, there's so much more to it than that. Yes, thank you, Mike, because dominion, we think of like a an exerting a power for our own purposes, yeah. but it goes beyond. To subdue it means to bring it under sub, to, into subjection, to rule over it, but within view of its care, mm. within view of its flourishing. And that's even seen down in verse 29 and 30, where he talks about beasts and seeds that have been given for you and for each other, for plant and for food. And then into chapter 2, we then have a further discussion about the creation of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. the, uh, the tree of life, and the commandment, the commandment of what to eat and what not to eat. Mm. So now we have a moral implication mm. here. There is a right and wrongness that is introduced, and mankind is called into that sphere to understand the difference between what is right and wrong and holy and unrighteous. Now, you got to think about that. Trees, plants, animals, land, the inanimate matters of creation have no concept of morality. Mm. But what is introduced, another aspect in which we bear the image of God is that we have a sense of the holy. Mm. We have a sense of what makes God, God. That is his holy righteousness and goodness. Mm. And mankind images God by having an understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is holy, what is good. And one other aspect, and that is the ability to actually choose, the mm. ability to make a decision for holiness. Because he says, you are expected to, com- to obey this command. Yeah. So there is a, is a cognizant self-awareness. If mankind did not have the faculties of, of self-awareness, mm-hmm. of self-existence, this command would not matter. Yeah. So within the context of God's providence and sovereignty, God, mankind images God in the understanding of the holy and the righteous, but also the cognizant responsibility to walk there in it. Mm. We are not just beasts. No. We are not just living on instinct. Well, we are called and given the opportunity, the responsibility to represent God here on earth by means of walking in the stewardship of the earth, walking in moral rightness yes, um, in all of these things. And so when I look at my dog, I love my dog, and, and, and Piper's awesome, but there is a very clear difference between my dog and my child. Yes. And there is a greater value on my child than there is my dog because that child who has been given to me has been made in the image of God just like I have, and there's something eternal. There's something beautiful about that reality. That's actually a very helpful distinction, and even in relationship to the fall, the entrance of sin into the world. Mm -hmm. So if we image God by way of roles, responsibilities, um, the work that he's given us, uh, we image him by walking in holiness and righteousness, and God walks eternally and perfectly in holiness and righteousness. And the, the call to mankind is to also walk in that image, to walk in that path. Yeah. When sin came into the world, sin, what it does is it makes us more like the beasts of the earth and less like God. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. The beasts of the earth are driven only by need. They're driven only by their appetites, 
by their desire to feed, their desire to do whatever according mm-hmm. to what their flesh desires. What sin does, it debases us as people mm. more to be like beasts, mm. like ravenous beasts that do not have no guide. It, it removes our distinction yeah. from be, between the creation world and the image bearing that we have of God, whereas godliness actually helps us to regain, to reassume in greater degree the original image that God created us mm. to bear. You see that in, in Romans 1 very clearly. This, very much so. This moving towards bestial life, really. Yes. As God, in judgment, pulls back his hand and allows man to enter into depravity and uh, leading to these things. Driven only by our lust. Isn't that what we see in our culture today? Oh, yeah. It is. In other words, embrace your beastliness. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's going to be tweeted out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, embrace, you know, it's, it's embracing your own desires and affections, which yeah. can be very base. And, and it's true, to, to that point, is that in our day and age, true authenticity is seen as being as... Bestial really is the word. Um, being in touch with that instinct behavior rather than choosing and denying self and then seeking that which is even greater, which is God himself. Um, and so that is something we have to be mindful of, even in our own flesh. It's Even as those who walk with Christ, there is that battle between the flesh and the spirit in that way. Absolutely. So when we talk about the image of God, it has profound implications of how we live life and how it governs our world. Now, I know we're going to get this question, Mike, mm-hmm. and someone's going to say, well, you kind of sidestepped just a very simple question that people are going to ask. Yeah. So in the image of God, do we actually look like God? Yeah. Are there physical um, similarities? The answer is yes and no. Okay. So the answer is God did not create out of a vacuum. Mm-hmm. He created us to image him, and there are certain aspects of his being. For instance, um, we speak because God has given us the empowerment to articulate with words, and that is an aspect of who he is. So mm. does God have a type of mouth? Yes, in the in sense that he is um, a speaking mm. being. Does it look exactly the way we are? Uh, maybe not in the sense of colorings and ethnicity. That's, that doesn't get all those details. Yeah. But we do have a God that is not just some ambiguous force, mm. because even the images of heaven that we see, when we see the angels in heaven, we see them with hands and feet. Yeah. Now, there's some other descriptions that can get a little strange, because it just seems Lots of foreign. eyes. Lots of eyes. Yes. Everywhere. But even the tabernacle and the temple depict greater realities. Mm. So everything that is created on earth are shadows of greater realities. Mm. So when I say yes and no, what I mean by that is that the way our physicality, does it is this exactly the way God looks? No. Yeah. But does our physicality and our existence, the way we've been constructed as human beings, uh, relate to greater, more glorious realities that actually exist? Mm. The answer is yes. Okay. All right. Now, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. And I think we see this picture of God being represented by humankind, Um, being made in the image of God, we stand as a representative of God in the world, um, as a really a a kind of a beacon of God's glory in a way, uh, pointing to Him. Um, And we see this not just in the garden, we see this even throughout redemptive history. Israel itself, as a nation, was to point to the holiness and cleanness of God and the rituals and the sacrifices and 
um, the way they were to be set apart from the nations. And so even there we see that there's a desire for the people of God to be image bearers, mm-hmm. declaring to a world who God is. And so this continues on until we see Christ, and he is ultimate, ultimately the, uh, the ultimate image of God for us to see, and, uh, and then he calls us even to a greater degree of holiness, having the mind of Christ in Philippians 2, 5, loving one another as he has loved us in John 13. So all of these things, we are continuing to walk even more down this path of the imaging of God. And it kind of reminds me of the teaching you had this past week of this great reversal that the church is part of. It's that that which was destroyed at the fall, the image of God, us being able to be seen clearly in that manner, in Christ, it's being restored. Mm. And what a beautiful promise that we can now live in and for that purpose that was originally set forth by God in the beginning. The Bible has this one driving narrative, um, and that is towards Christ and out of Christ to redeem and to bring glory to the Father. And the beautiful thing, like you just said, Mike, is this reversal of the the marring of the image that happened at creation Mm. that is going to happen through a new man, Mm. a second Adam, as Paul liked to call him. So Adam, the first Adam... Mm -hmm. Image marred, sin enters the world. Jesus, the second better Adam, who comes into the world to restore the relationship between man and God. Mm. And so that through his work, the image of God begins to be restored in man. Mm. That you take that even further, that God in the Son took on flesh and he will never take it off again. Mm. He has taken on our physical flesh and that Jesus reigns right now in heaven as a physical man in the fully glorified image restored. And he is the firstborn, the first fruits yeah. of all us who believe. Mm. So when we get saved, when, we, when, when the Lord calls us to himself and we believe in faith, uh, the, that image at that moment begins to be restored. And the process of sanctification, really uh, following Christ in holiness, is that the ongoing restoration, mm. like an old painting if you or like an yeah. old work of art that was destroyed after years of neglect, and an artisan comes in and painstakingly, not just overnight, mm-hmm. but starts to restore this old work of art. Mm. Well, once we come to Christ, that means the artist, the artisan is now on the scene, mm. Jesus, and through his Holy Spirit piece by piece, little by little, begins to restore us, Mm. begins to beautify us. And we look forward to that day when all of us as restored works of art will be hung on the halls of heaven, and we are not just, of course, entered paintings, but (laughs) children of God that are to the praise and glory of his name. Mm. So that's kind of just a big picture view from creation to restoration and how God is working to re-image us uh, for his glory. I love that. And for those who may be, maybe there are those out there who are wrestling even with self-image, right? They're, they're wrestling with um, just feeling the depth of their brokenness. They are wrestling with depression, anxiety, you name it. Um, and maybe some of it comes from you, you don't know how to think of yourself or how to think of yourself mm-hmm. in light of what, what, what lens do you look at yourself? Is it your own mind? Is it other people and what they think? The encouragement here 
is to consider yourself in light of being made in the image of God, that there is a loving creator who has formed you to be a conduit of his blessing to this yes. world, to be a beacon of light to those who are lost, um, and who desires through, through his grace, by the sacrifice of Christ, to cleanse you of all your sins and establish you as a righteous beacon for those who may be around you. And so you are loved and you are formed in this image. The world doesn't make that. God made you in that. And I think that's a great encouragement for people, and I pray it would be even today. Absolutely. Uh, we have intrinsic value yeah. because being created in the image of God. We also have a gaping hole in our heart before Christ mm. because we realize that this image, is this all we are? Mm -hmm. And so what does the world do? We try to find our identity and value in our sexuality, in, in our gender, mm. fighting for roles to try and find significance in mm. those things. But that will never fill that hole. Yeah. The only one who does and can is Jesus Christ, who loves us so much. He says, I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to begin that work of restoration. Mm. And you know what? I love you. I'm going to be with you through the whole process. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work through these issues and begin to undo the lies of gender and sexuality that the Satan has just woven into your being. Mm. I'm going to call you to greater heights than things you can possibly imagine. Looking forward to that one day when it will just all be bliss and glory. Amen. So there's hope, great hope, yes, from Genesis is. to restoration. And one last thing before we close out, how does the image of God and understanding this reality change how we see others? Because in our day and age, we tend to see others immediately as enemies in many ways. But how does this change how we see others? Well, we see everybody as created and bearing the handiwork of God and the fingerprints of God, regardless yeah. of who they are. Yeah. And the world has this double speak. We have this moral saber rattling of everybody matters, yeah. but at the same time, we can be very quick to treat other people as if they are nothing, mm. as animals in the way that we talk or... Uh, you don't want to get into other issue, uh, abortion. You know, mm -hmm. this doesn't matter. This this issue, this situation, they're just, it's a pile of cells. I mean, you can go and, you know, chase that out yeah. in many different directions. Christianity is built, according to God's word, on the belief that mankind is a special, unique creation mm -hmm. bearing the image of God and should be treated as such. Amen. And even more so in the context of the church where we truly see and understand the value. Amen. Well, thank you, Nathan, so much for your thoughts there. We pray this is an encouragement to you as you walk with Christ, or even if you do not know Christ, may you consider the things that were said and look deep into his word for truth. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Focused on Christ. Next time, we'll continue our look at Genesis by discussing the fall of man and sin's impact on the world. We hope you'll join us for that conversation. In the meantime, if you have benefited from this podcast, please take a moment and give a five-star rating so that others can easily find it. Also, for more details on Focused on Christ, you can visit us online at FocusedOnChrist.com.